Well, good morning, everyone, and, uh, and welcome. So this morning, as we prepare ourselves to go and break bread, we, we get to think about the last of our trilogy of statements that uh, the Apostle Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians would be the marks of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Lord, he said himself, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And it's somehow fitting, isn't it? Because the next thing he goes on to say is, as you know, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So it's kind of fitting in a way, isn't it, that we get to, uh, or I get to try and raise the trumpet sound this morning, as we prepare to go and be, as it were, ever with the Lord, to just get a little taste in some small way as we sit together at the Lord's table, at his table, and we, we get to just imagine uh, what it will be like one day when all of these things which today are wrapped up in symbol and metaphor uh, become a reality. So I hope you enjoy the next hour as we think about those, those things together. Just remain seated, will you, and just bow your heads in, in prayer. Loving eternal Father, we, we come to you with a deep sense of thankfulness and gratitude for the things that have been passed down to us, that have become our inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the time that has been afforded to us to think about these things and to give us the opportunity to order our lives around them and to ensure that the things that are the most important thing remain the most important thing in our lives and that we never lose sight of the coming day when your son will be revealed and we pray you'll be with us this morning father individually collectively as we bring ourselves and our hearts and our thoughts and our issues to your table. And we pray we'll leave, Father, with an answer of peace. So be with us today, we pray, for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, Brother Owen is going to begin by leading us in a reading of the last psalm, Psalm 150. Um, and uh, the last psalm almost includes the last trumpet. All right, so uh, just a lovely way to begin this morning. So Psalm 150. Um, 
Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Owen. There's a lovely progression through that psalm as you, as you reach the, 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 the moment when all the, the orchestra is introduced and the first sound that you hear is the sound of the trumpet and, and, it, and it ends with the last sound that you hear which is the, the, the sound of everything that has breath praise the Lord, right? And so there is to be a, there is to be a movement from the things that uh, create these sounds and uh, that, that give these uh, announcements of praise from, from, a, from a man-made instrument or from an inanimate object into you and me. That, that's the progression here from this psalm, isn't it? That, that, uh, that the trumpet sound, whenever it sounds, and we're going to look at some of the, the occasions this morning throughout history, when it sounded, it was a foretaste of the fact that the way that sound will end by the grace of God, and you and I will have the opportunity to participate in it, will be that all things that have breath praise the Lord. Okay, not inanimate objects, but as the Apostle Paul would describe, life-giving instruments. Uh, and he's talking about you and me, not orchestral ones. Okay, it's a lovely moment that. So I thought we should stand and sing our version or a version of that psalm in, in hymn 75. Oh, praise ye the Lord, praise him in the height, rejoice in his word, ye angels of light. Psalm 150. I notice we're all a bit kind of not sure when to stand up and sit down when we've been singing this weekend. So please stand when you hear the the introduction being played and let's be ready to give voice with our life-giving instruments uh, to the words of this psalm. Psalm 150.
Thank you. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Yorkshire boy at heart, and um, where, where I grew up in, in Leeds, uh, not far from the Leeds, I was going to say Leeds International Airport, that's a way overstatement. But, uh, when I was a kid, I think it was called Leeds Bradford Airport, um, which was pretty much the extent of what it served, I think. Um, sorry, that was a reminiscence you didn't need. Um, <laughs> I remember as a kid, for some reason, I, used to, I don't know what it was, and whether it was just a thing in Leeds or whether it was a national thing, I'm not sure. They, they would still occasionally test the air raid sirens uh, that, that had been uh, used during the war. And uh, there was one not far from our house, and uh, we lived kind of on the, on the edge of Leeds, so, you know, it, it, on a windy day, the sound would carry. And I remember as a kid... Um, saying to Dad, what is, what is that? What is that sound? You know, I'd never, never heard it before, of course, as a kid. I, you know, I'm young enough to not have needed to hear it when it was first installed. And um, my parents both grew up in London as children. They were born in the very late 1930s. <clears throat> so their childhood memories grow up, growing up in London, and in fact it's kind of one of the reasons I think I ended up being a Yorkshireman, because... They ended up being evacuated uh, away from London as children. Their, their childhood memories, of course, were hearing that sound in London. And my, my dad remembers heading off to the air raid shelter in the playground at school, you know, when, when, when it would be heard. And it was interesting to watch his reaction when, when the sound would go off, right? Because um, whilst it was, it was irrelevant, you know, on a... On a Saturday morning in Yorkshire in the mid-1980s, to hear that sound replayed, you could see, you could see, sounds have triggers, don't they? And uh, you could see some of the things that that would uh, reimagine. Again, I don't know why they were still playing them in the 1980s. I suspect maybe it was one of those Yorkshire philo- philosophies that at some point we were probably going to get invaded by somebody anyway. And if it wasn't the Russians, it was probably going to be the Lancastrians uh, or some other county desperate to acquire the brass band as the the only art form that we've managed to take as our own. So it was worth keeping them active, you know, for any of those eventualities. Uh, And and the the point I wanted to make, Brunsisters, is it seems to me a little bit that uh, when Israel heard the sound of the trumpet instead of it triggering in them this great sense of awe and wonder and delight that God was calling out to them to come to him. It had that sense I saw in my dad of the air raid siren. Hmm? This kind of sense of foreboding and uh, this sense of unease that was not a sound to be enjoyed or to be received with gladness. And you get the sense, don't you, in fact, even Moses said, in fact, let's come to it, shall we? Come with me to Exodus 19. The first time you hear the trumpet sound in Scripture, and of course it's an important uh, moment because it, uh, it signals in a way, uh, it, it sets off the, 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 the catalogue of moments when that sound will be heard throughout scriptural history. And... Um, And you might recall it here in Exodus chapter 19. Three times we're told here in Exodus 19. You know the the context. Just make sure our minds are there this morning. So the children of Israel have arrived at Sinai. 
We're given the timings there in, in the opening verses of Exodus chapter 19. And for the first time as a nation, since they crossed the Red Sea and they left Egypt, they've arrived at the mountain. And, and God calls them to come and have a conversation with him through Moses. And three times we're told that one of the, 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 the great sounds of that occasion was going to be the trumpet sound. So in Exodus chapter 19 and verse, uh, where shall we begin? Verse 12, you will set bounds to the people round about saying, take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be surely put to death. So it did have this, there was this dual aspect to it, wasn't there? That there was this sense of uh, trepidation to some degree about what what the significance of this occasion and these moments were to be about. Uh, uh, And in fact, verse 13, there will not a hand touch it, the mountain that is, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It will not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they will come up to the mount. So the first sound um, uh, that they were going to hear, that was going to signify that they were being called to come and meet with God, what was this sound of the trumpet. And it was going to sound long and loud. And even Moses, we're told in the letter to the Hebrews, said, I exceedingly feared and quaked. When I heard that sound, and it comes again in verse 16, it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people in the camp trembled, right? Can you imagine that kind of resonance and with all of its connotations and, uh, and it struck a sense of something, in, into the, the, the hearts and the feelings of the children of Israel. And it comes again in verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by a voice. I mean, this is a dramatic occasion, isn't it here? There's no question God wanted to announce something very significant with this with this congregation, this generation, this group of people who have been redeemed out of Egypt and they've arrived now at the mountain to which God had said all along, they will worship me on this mountain and they've arrived and God is announcing that fact and he wants them to know it's significant and the trumpet is getting louder and louder and Moses is speaking and God is answering. And this this is a dramatic occasion, isn't it? And Stephen took us to this chapter yesterday because the cloud is going to descend on the mountain there. And it's right, isn't it, that Paul may have been thinking about this when he wrote 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. Because he said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the trumpet And the dead in Christ shall rise first and we will go to meet with the Lord and we will forever be with him there. And did you notice there in verse 13, that was the essence of it, wasn't it? When the trumpet soundeth long, they will come up to the mountain. And uh, and in verse 15, we're told Moses said to the people, be ready against the third, third day. Come not at your wives. And in verse 17, Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. So you can see why this this incident stands in a way 
as a, um, a template for the day when the sound will be sounded out for you and me. The, and, the, and the first use of the trumpet in scripture was this, this great voice that was designed to call the people. It was a great sound and everybody was to understand its voice and they were all to come and to meet with God and to be with him there forever. It's not how it worked out, of course, on this occasion. But it's how it will work out, finally, when it's used the next time. So we have uh, the sound of the trumpet. We have the cloud coming down on the mountain. And uh, in a moment, Brent, as I put it to you, we have the voice of the archangel. And you have to wait till this afternoon to hear the shout. All right, so hold on to that thought before we finish today. And we know this incident is important in that context, Brentis. If you keep a finger in Exodus 19, come over to Hebrews 12. Because, of course, if you remember the way this incident is positioned here by the writer to the Hebrews, it's used as the contrasting image, isn't it? The, uh, the antitype, almost, of, of the day when, that we've been thinking about this weekend. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18. You remember these words. We are not come to the mountain that might be touched. Right? We just read about that. This was a physical experience here at Sinai. That's not the mountain we've come to. It's not tangible in that way. And that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of the trumpet was there. And the voice of words. Which voice they who heard entreated that the word should be spoken to them no more. And that was their response to this occasion, wasn't it? They said to Moses, listen, it's probably safer that we don't get consumed by this experience. You, you do the talking and we'll listen to you. All right, so this, this incident is being positioned here. Carry on, verse 20. They could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. And then the writer moves on now and says, well, what, what about you and me then? It's not the same experience for us. It's the same in principle, but it's different in practice. But you, verse 22, are come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly, and to the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Isn't that lovely? So in a way, we have been, this, all, all these things do have relevance to us, but they're different for us. And our response to them needs to be different to the response that was experienced there when they were heard and experienced and felt the first time. So it's right, isn't it, that we see this moment in Exodus 19 as having some relevance for the times that we're thinking about this weekend. And, and that the, the Hebrew writer positions them right alongside one another there so that we can see the lessons and see the template as it's being presented to us. Now notice what uh, the writer to the Hebrews goes on to say 
next, verse twenty-five. See that you refuse not him who speaks. For if they escape not who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth? But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not the earth only, but also heaven. So it's worth just stopping and trying, thinking about that for a moment, brothers and sisters. When it says there, if they... Uh, if they escape not, who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape? Who was the one who spoke on earth whom they refused? To whom do you think the apostle is referring there when, uh, when he describes him who speaks? And, uh, and uh, to make sure that we refuse not him who speaks to us. Who was the one who spoke to them? Welcome back with me, brothers and sisters, to, uh, to Exodus, this time to chapter 23. So he's not given specific mention there in Exodus chapter 19, but by the time we get to Exodus chapter 23, you remember, we are introduced to this special angel. Verse 20, behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way. The role of this angel was specifically to keep this generation in the way. Beautiful phrase, that isn't it? We thought about it in our discussion group yesterday. It was the same commission that had been given to Noah because all flesh had corrupted his way. It was the same commission that had been given to Abraham. I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they will keep the way. And the role of this angel was to now keep this company of people in the way, in God's way. And to bring you into the place, verse 20, which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you will indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Isn't that a lovely description of this, the role of this angel? He will be an adversary to your adversaries. All right, He will lead you in the way. He will bring you to the place. Uh, and if you obey his voice, then I will, I will fight your enemies for you. Refuse not him who speaks. And the, and the one who was going to speak to them was this angel that God had specifically appointed. And the instruction of God to the people was, obey his voice. Not lovely? Well... Just keep a finger in Exodus and just come to Acts chapter 7, just quickly, because I think um, Stephen just also adds a little uh, flourish here in his commentary in Acts 7 as to uh, the personality of this angel. Acts chapter 7, verse 38, speaking of Moses, 
Stephen says, this is he who was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and in their hearts turn back again to Egypt. So again, this is Stephen just adding this little flourish, isn't it? That Moses was with the angel and it was the angel's voice who with Moses was speaking to the congregation. So there we have our moment, don't we? We have our moment that the Apostle Paul wants us to to identify and see here when when the Lord himself descended with with the, the voice of the archangel who was there. It was him who was with Moses in the mountain. And the pleading of of God, obey his voice. Do not refuse him who speaks, because he is able to lead you in the way and bring you into the place of which I have spoken of. And, and, And if we should learn anything, says the writer to the Hebrews, about the fact that Israel refused to listen to his voice, then may it be, brothers and sisters, we refuse not him who speaks to us. The one who will also come with a shout and with the sound of the trumpet and with the voice of the archangel. So a lovely little template picture here that it's worth noting. And of course, the response of Israel, brothers and sisters, comes in Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is how they responded uh, to Moses and to this angel, which again maybe just gives us some, some, some context and some other reference points as to their, their experience and their understanding. And Moses experience with this angel Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 32 and Moses now many years later reminding the children of Israel of the awesome nature of what they'd been invited to experience he says ask now of the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created man upon earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether there has been any such thing as this great thing or has, has been heard like it. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? And it's beautiful the way Moses positions that experience of Israel, isn't it? He said it was like hearing a voice out of the fire. And Moses was the one who'd heard the voice out of the fire, isn't it? He was the one who stood there on the mountain before the burning bush, being told to take his sandals from off his feet because he was standing on holy ground. And Moses says, it wasn't just me who had that experience. That experience was multiplied out. And when the fire came down and burned the top of Mount Sinai, and you heard the voice That was the experience I'd had, just me standing there on my own with God there in Exodus 3. And God multiplied up that voice and you all heard it. You all had that experience of God speaking out of the fire. And he's almost using the metaphor of the bush, isn't he? When the bush was burned but was not consumed. We were speaking yesterday about the power of fire and its ability to destroy some things and purify others. And the, the, it was the marvel of the fact that the bush had, was on fire but was not consumed that made Moses stand and look at it. Do you remember? And now it's almost as if he opens up this parable to the whole congregation. And he says, you heard the voice of God out of the fire and you were not consumed. God was inviting you to come and meet with him and be with him. Did ever a nation ever on earth at any time have an experience like that? And if you come over to chapter 5, he reminds them what happened. Chapter 5 and verse 23, it came to pass when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness. 
for the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God talks with man and he lives. Do you remember, that? Do you remember those words? We have heard them yesterday on the lips of Gideon. I have spoken with the Lord face to face and am I going to survive it? Was his question. Huh? We have heard the voice of God and uh, God speaks with man and he lives. Now therefore, verse 25, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? And so they said to Moses, you go near to God and all that you speak to us, we will do it. And so, brothers and sisters, we have our choice to make this morning, don't we, about how we respond to this sound. I spoke with one or two yesterday about the fact that uh, we've been speaking about all the exciting and the positive things about the coming of the Lord this weekend. There's a, there's a flip side to that coin, isn't there? It does come with a sense of awe and authority and distinction and difference when that voice sounds some will be raised to life and some will be raised to judgment and it's it's a challenge isn't it for those of us of faith brothers and sisters because we I suppose it depends on your character we again I'm a Yorkshireman so we tend to assume the cup is normally half empty spend most of our lives wondering whether on that day of resurrection we ought to be hearing an air raid siren That's kind of the natural tension that exists between this point of definition that has to be made. That when this sound is heard, it will trigger a response. That there will be a sense of something in the the ears of those who hear its sound and the voice of God and the invitation to come and meet with him. And all the chances we've been given, Brentises, all the days of our lives that have been laid out before us and have already gone behind us, are to enable us to prepare ourselves for that day so that when we hear that sound, brothers and it fills us with joy and a sense of distinct pleasure that we get to be invited to go and be with the Lord. In fact, the very sense of the words that are used, that are translated in the English here, the trumpet, again, there's only one word typically used in English, it's just the trumpet. There's more than one word being used there in the Hebrew. And, uh, and even the sense of some of those words are less about the instrument and more about the sound. And it was to be a joyful sound. That was the intention of the trumpet sound, that it would cause a sense of gladness and happiness and uh, an excitement in the ears of those who heard it. And the experience of this first generation, who were the first ones to hear that call, brothers and sisters, was it did not engage them in that sense. And maybe, brothers and sisters, we consider our orientation to it today. It doesn't trigger that sense in us through, not because we, in some way we're, we have some right to go and be there when it comes but because of the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ that we can go and be with God. He is the one who will go and take us to be forever with the Lord. Will you join me in singing hymn 
109. O God, whose voice of thunder once made the earth to shake, and Israel at the mountain in awe did fear and quake. Well, with boldness we seek your face, for we have come to know you, the living God of grace. So let's stand and sing hymn 109. Sisters to Numbers chapter 10 because um, there's a lovely kind of image here that uh, as Israel arrived at Sinai they hear this great trumpet sound and you know the thing they heard brothers and sisters as the day they left Sinai was the trumpet sound right so lovely bookends of their experience here at the mountain with God they were invited to be there with the sound of a trumpet and they were invited to leave with the sound of the trumpet and here in Numbers 10, we're given um, the, the background to that occasion. So let's have a, 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 just a look briefly at this. Because the spirit with which they left, it seems to me, was a slightly different uh, uh, kind of energy and vibe than the one with which they arrived. And it's worth thinking about what had happened in the intervening year or so that maybe changed that, um, that tempo, that sense, that, that atmosphere. You remember in Numbers chapter 10 and verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, make two trumpets of silver. 
of the whole piece, you will make them that you may use them for the calling of the assembly, for the journey of the camps. And when they blow with them, all the assembly will assemble themselves to you at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow out with one trumpet and so on and so on, then all these different sounds um, uh, would be used to, to call and to signify different things. And in verse 8, the sons of Aaron, the priests, will blow with the trumpets and they will be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. Uh, for if you go out to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then you will blow an alarm and so on. And you will be remembered before the Lord your God and you will be saved from your enemies. So there were two trumpets to be made of silver. They were to be given to Aaron's sons, of which he only has two left, of course. Two died during that year at Sinai, and there are two left. So two trumpets are made, one for Ithamar and one for Eliezer, and, uh, and they were to be used for sounding the signals to the children of Israel. Pretty pressured job, that, for Eliezer and Ithamar. Can you imagine them sitting down with Aaron and Moses going, listen, we need to practice, boys, because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to play the wrong tune at the wrong moment, you know? Can you imagine if we play for this day of gladness when we ought to have been playing the sound for war? Everyone's going to be really confused. And if on the day when the tabernacle sets out, we blow the sound for the east camp instead of the south or the north or the west, there's going to be utter chaos. So I don't know how they worked out those sounds or what practice, the trumpet practice sounded like in, uh, in Moses and Aaron's family. But you can imagine the need to get that right. You know, you couldn't text everybody. There wasn't a WhatsApp group in the camp of Reuben, you know, to say, time to go, boys, get your stuff. It's your turn to move. You had to wait for the trumpet sound. And everybody would know what the trumpet sound would mean that was the purpose of these trumpets wasn't it this was God speaking to the people and when you hear the sound you will know you will know whether it's a battle cry you'll know whether it's a camp on the move cry you'll know whether it's a day of solemn assembly or a day of gladness or the burnt offering you will know the sound of the trumpet and when you hear it you will know what to do that was the uh, that was the kind of vibe here as I sense it from the way uh, God is instructing Moses here to institute the sound and the blowing of the trumpets. And they would assemble at the door, or they would move, or they would gather for war, or it would be a day of gladness, or the beginning of months, or the burnt and the peace offerings. These were all the different uses for the trumpet. And you know, the first time, brothers and sisters, those trumpets were heard was the day Israel left Sinai. And it was a, it was a, it's worth just reading it with your, with your imagination, brothers and sisters, not just with your eyes. Uh, uh, can you imagine, just put yourself, brothers and sisters, for a moment in the sandals of Israel, who'd been through all these experiences at Sinai. They'd seen the mountain on fire. They'd heard the voice of God speaking to Moses. They'd seen Moses coming down with his shining face. Having Moses having attempted to make atonement for their sin after the experience with the golden calf. They'd come and they brought their offerings and now in their midst they had a sanctuary. And in fact this group of people, brothers and sisters, were changed from the group who'd arrived there and met with the Lord in Exodus 19. And this is part of the flow of this lovely picture that God wants you and I to see. The, the group of men and women who leave Sinai, brothers and sisters, are different to the ones who arrived 
They arrived in their companies of fives and tens and fifties and in their family groups, camping all over the place. By the time they left Sinai, brothers and sisters, they were camping in their square. God was in the middle. The ark was there in the most holy place. And there was offerings and a sanctuary and there was a method of worship. All of this had begun during that year or so they'd been there at Sinai. And in fact, if you just look down there in Numbers chapter 10, we're given the day that Israel left Sinai, verse 11. It came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle off the testimony and the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran and they first took their journey according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses and the trumpet was sounded, verse 14 and in the, in the first place was the standard of the camp of the children of Judah according to their armies and over his host was Nashon the son of Aminadab and over the host of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nethaneel the son of Zua and do you notice even how the language has changed now they're camping in their armies and they have captains and they have standards and banners and the group of people brothers and sisters who leave Sinai look totally different to the ones who arrived they're organised and when the trumpet sounds they know what to do and they react and they move and things happen and they carry the banners and when the trumpet sounds off, off goes Reuben first and, uh, and then when the trumpet sounds again the, the next quadrant goes and then the tabernacle in, in the, in the centre and then the trumpet sounds and the next quadrant and if you'd have been standing on the mountains for instance looking down on the valley of Sinai it would have been quite an extraordinary sight wouldn't it that this ramshackle group of people who had arrived there now are in formation and they're marching and they've got captains and banners and they've got this, this extraordinary set of equipment with them and they're cherubic aren't they brothers and sisters that's the description that's being given here that's the, the picture here this four cornered camp yeah, with its, with its captains and its standards has become God's chariot hasn't it that's what we've been thinking about this weekend and it's, and it's not some mystical thing in a vision. It's physical. And it's people. And God is moving in his, in his congregation. God is amongst his people. And they're leaving Sinai with one intention, brothers and sisters. To go and take the promised land. Of course, it's hard for us to read this without hindsight, isn't it? Because we know that what should have been a few days journey to the kingdom of God became a, a, a multi-millennial problem. But the intention here was that within a matter of days, when that trumpet sounded, they would be there in the kingdom of God. And this generation would have experienced the, the promises to Abraham and the fulfilment of all of those things. That was in their minds. They didn't know that there was another three, four thousand years to go, did they? In their minds, when that trumpet sounded, brothers and sisters, on the, in the second month of the second year, and, and they heard that trumpet for the first time. This trumpet, this was a different sound now. They've been changed. They've been through extraordinary experiences. They'd understood now the kindness and the mercy of God, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And some of them have been touched deeply by that. And now as they leave Sinai, brothers and it's a different congregation altogether. And they're heading for the promised land. 
And there's something in that, isn't there, brothers and sisters, for you and I, as as to what it will be like when the trumpet sounds, when all these metaphors and these symbols and these patterns of the past become a reality. I I, I suspect it will be nothing like this. These things are trying, these are pictures that are being painted for us, aren't they, to try and engage our hearts and our minds to imagine the magnitude of what it will be like, brothers and sisters, when we hear God's trumpet being sounded and we are called to march like an army. We are the vehicle of God's presence to go and take the kingdom of God. Beautiful picture here. And as you come down to the end of Numbers chapter 10, Moses said a prayer. I want you to notice this, brothers and sisters. I want you to imagine again, if you can, I know it's difficult, you're probably tired, not slept very well, and all sorts of things, asking you to exercise the deepness of your imagination this morning. But can you imagine how Moses would have felt the day Israel left Sinai, looking down on this congregation that have changed in some ways so much, and in some ways so little. And he would have stood there watching as the trumpet sounded, the congregation set off in their order. And the pattern that he'd received from God in the mountain has now become a physical reality, in a sense, in front of him. And there would have been tears rolling down his face, wouldn't there, as he saw God's army marching out onwards to fulfil and receive the inheritance that they'd been promised by God. And Moses said these words, Uh, Verse 35, it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let them who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. And that was Moses' perception of God's interaction here with the children of Israel. Uh, rise up O Lord and let your enemies be scattered let them who hate you flee before you and this prayer of Moses is captured brothers and sisters in Psalm 68 uh, worth just spotting it very very quickly here and it's, and it's expanded significantly here in Psalm 68 you can't miss it the opening verse uh, comes right out of Numbers 10 there in verse 35 this is a Psalm of David of course who maybe I don't know whether he just took Moses full prayer or whether he, he took Moses' short prayer and added the next chapter to it himself, and maybe as he brought himself the ark to Zion for the first time. Can you imagine that, brothers and sisters? The ark should have arrived in Zion hundreds of years before, and David was the one who finally brought it to its rightful resting place all those years later. And it was right that he picks up on this prayer of Moses there in Numbers chapter 10, who had every intention of taking God to Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, and he never made it. Moses never got the ark of God to Jerusalem, and it will be David who would finally, of course, rightfully bring the ark to Jerusalem. It was the number one job. He'd spent all of his life waiting to become king so that he could achieve that thing. And he says in verse 1, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let them also that hate him flee before him. And, uh, and as you come down this prayer, this, uh, this, this psalm, You can hear the echoes of Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that established it. Kings of armies did flee apace, and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. And it's a lovely description here. And in verse, uh, you can sense uh, the end of Moses' prayer there in verse 17. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. 
The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. And a lovely reference here made by the Apostle Paul to Christ. You have ascended on high and led captivity captive. So again, those scriptural writers want you to connect to all these events and see them as being part of the one big pattern of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And the description there in verse 17, the chariots of God, this is David's version of the end of Moses' prayer, are the many thousands of Israel. The Lord is among them. And the description there of, of the angels there in verse 17 is the idea of the changed ones. And the major difference in this psalm, brothers and sisters, to Moses' prayer is the name of God is no longer Yahweh, it's Elohim. Right? And, and so there's a sense in which God has now become manifested in this group of people. That they've been changed by their experience of God. And this is now the chariot of God in God's company. And at the sound of the trumpet, brothers and sisters, they move and they go to inherit the, the kingdom of God. So that's how they departed from Sinai. And brothers and sisters, the trumpet has still yet to sound its voice for you and for me. And we'll be thinking, I suspect, uh, for the rest of the day about the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Olivet Prophecy. For the trumpet shall sound, Jeremy the Lord Jesus said. And God will send his angels and they will gather God's elect from the four corners of the earth. So that's what will happen at the trumpet sound, brothers and sisters, for you and me. God's elect will be called from the four corners of the earth, not the four corners of the camp now. That's what the trumpet was used for in Numbers 10 there, wasn't it? So that each, cor- each corner of the camp had its own sound, so they knew when to move. Now when the trumpet sounds, Brunson, it won't be the four corners of the camp, it will be the four corners of the earth who will hear that sound. And God's elect, those who know what that sound means, will be called to be gathered together by the angels of God to be, to be called into the company who will go to meet the Lord and to be forever with him. Isn't that lovely? And when the trumpet sound is used in scripture, brothers and sisters, it's used to denote the calling of the dead. That's how the Apostle Paul used it in 1 Thessalonians 4, isn't it? It's how he used it in 1 Corinthians 15. For the trumpet will sound. And he says it's the last trumpet. We've heard the first trumpet this morning in Exodus 19. And the Apostle Paul says when the last trumpet sounds, the dead shall be raised. And he says, and we shall be changed. That's what he says, doesn't he? Just as Israel were. They were changed. Not in a moment. Not in a twinkling of an eye. That doesn't happen in this lifetime, does it? The change that we are looking for, brothers and sisters, can only happen in a moment when that final trumpet sounds and the dead are raised. Incorruptible. Well, just before we finish, brothers and sisters, taking all of those ideas and thoughts, will you come with me one last time to 1 Thessalonians? This time to chapter 1. Because this trumpet, brothers and sisters, whilst it will sound in some way, shape or form on the day the Lord is here, it has another work to do. And just as we saw yesterday with, with the shout and the voice of the archangel, there is a work for all of these emblems in our lives today. And it's the Apostle Paul who beautifully picks out this practical 
lesson for us. And in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. And he's writing to this lovely ecclesia in Thessalonica. And he says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything for they themselves Show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And the Apostle Paul says, everybody knows about that. Everybody who's coming into contact with you knows about that because in verse eight, for from you has sounded out the word of the Lord. And that phrase that the Apostle Paul uses there in verse eight, sounded out. It's only normally used in the sense of, a, of, a, of an instrument giving an orchestral sound. And the Apostle Paul says the sound that you were giving out is like the voice of the trumpet calling out to everyone to hear the word of God and to prepare a people so that when the trumpet finally sounds, they will know what it means and they will be ready at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he will come to raise the dead. And it was the Apostle Paul, of course, in 1 Corinthians 14 who when chastising the Corinthians for their terrible use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit said, unless the trumpet give a certain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? What a fascinating use of that Old Testament scripture, brothers and sisters, in the context of 1 Corinthians 14. And the Apostle Paul says, if, unless that trumpet, everybody knows what it means... What, how will they know how to respond? If one minute you're sounding a call for battle and the next minute it's chaos. And he said, that's what I see in Corinth. Nobody knows what's going on. And the trumpet sound needs to be loud and clear so that everybody knows what to do when they hear its voice. And brothers and sisters, that's your blessing in mind this morning, isn't it? Because the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the question is, what will our response be to that call? And the challenge to us, princes, is it's calling already. The Apostle Paul tells us absolutely clearly that it's the voice of the gospel that is the trumpet call for us. That's the one that prepares us for the ultimate call. That's the voice that tells us so we know what to do. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, princes, and the alarm clock goes off, don't hear the, the alarm clock. You know, don't hear that sense of foreboding. Right? The air raid siren. Hear the trumpet of God. And hear it sounding out to you to prepare your lives and to make sure you, your hearts and mine are ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what that trumpet call is designed to do. And it's supposed to be a joyful sound. Blessed are the people, said the psalm. We were going to sing it, but we're not going to because we've run out of time. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. And that word joyful sound there in, that, in Psalm 89, it's the trumpet sound. It's the word that's used to describe what men and women would hear when they heard the voice of the trumpet. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound, the trumpet sound. And maybe, brothers and sisters, on that day when we hear it to gather God's elect from the four corners of the earth, we don't hear the air raid siren floating over the hills and the satanic mills of Yorkshire. Uh, but we hear the joyful sound. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ who said, when you see these things come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads and know that your redemption 
draweth nigh. Isn't that a lovely feeling to have, brothers and sisters, this morning as we listen to that voice? Well, Brother David Goodwin is going to close our session in prayer after we've sung together hymn 311. Blow ye the trumpet blow, the joyful, welcome sound. Let scattered Israel know to earth's remotest bound, the year of jubilee is come. Return, O exiled Israel, home. for us that we should follow. So maybe, Father, 
because of this, be ready for the sounds when we hear them, for the trumpet sound, for the call of God, for the call of the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep, that all of us might ultimately be a part of the wonderful purpose that you will fulfil through the Lord Jesus. Because we realise that the hope that we have is something that has been prepared for us through the life that Jesus lived and gave. So may all these things come together in our minds as we look forward to his return. So bless us, Father, until that time. In his name. Amen.